Well, it looks like you all hated me so much that you've given me this award for it. That it can be about the performance and not the politics. This moment is so much bigger than me. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. And thank all of you who voted for me. And all of you who didn't, please excuse me. I deserve this. Thank you. All right, so this one is kind of very special to my heart, um, this episode that we have today. And uh, Brandon, I think you know why. Yeah, we're about to speak with an actress who is very near and dear to your heart, someone you've been in contact with over the years. Uh, so I'm also looking forward to it very much. Yeah, you know, this, I mean, everyone listening to us knows by now it is Academy Award nominee Penelope Milford, um, who was nominated in 1978 for Coming Home. Um, but Penelope is kind of special to the pod in a way, not only just with like our excitement and whatnot, but like we, you know, we both gave her the Oscar win in 78 for supporting. And then, um, we also have a a saying on the show called the Penelope Milford effect. And it's kind of fun to come full circle and she's with us here today. And, you know, it's just, it's one of those things I'm a little giddy boy over, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's exciting. Yeah, she's uh, someone who might not exactly be a household name, but she is someone deeply talented. And she has not been in the film world for quite a while. Um, I'm sure that's totally her choice, and we respect that. But we'd love to see what she would uh, be doing right now if she were out making movies still. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is like one of those... And, you know, I, I talked about it in our 1969 episode for Patreon, but this is like one of those things too. When I first started my Oscar journey and then eventually coming into here, it was like I had a trifecta of actresses or actually a quadfecta of actresses to find. Um, Penelope was one of them. And then Leslie Brown, who I became friends with. And then Lynn Carlin from Faces. And then, of course, uh, Catherine Burns from last summer and found three out of the four. And so it was. Penelope was the first, and it's pretty cool because for those of you who don't know, um, a couple years ago, I've talked about it a little bit. I'm sure I'll talk about it more. Um, I was doing a film project, my first indie, um, with Misty Uppin from Frozen River and August Ojikami and Karen Black, where she was supposed to be my mother. And I wanted to bring Penelope Milford back into the world of film and found her and sent her the script. And she read it, and she said it was really, really good, that my writing was great, but she wasn't ready to do that film. And we've kind of stayed in contact here and there over the years, and here we are today. And it's just, you know, this is the first conversation really about her career that I've ever had with her. So it's giddy boy on Christmas, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I guess without further ado... All right, listeners, very, very excited. Here we have her finally with us on the line. You know her from Coming Home, The Golden Seal, and Heathers, amongst other films. We have with us Academy Award-nominated actress Penelope Milford. Thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, I'm so glad to be with you. Yes. It's nice to talk to you. For sure, for sure. Um, quick little history, though, for the listeners, because we actually have a lot of um, special meaning with with you on our podcast. I know you listened to our 1978 episode when I had contacted you again. But for the people who don't know, 
Um, you and I actually were in contact a couple of years ago um, regarding a, a project that I was doing with uh, my late friend, Karen Black, and that's how we got in contact. We've actually talked before, but this is the first time you and I have had, actually had a chance to like sit down and talk about your career, which I'm super excited about. So thank you again from the bottom of my heart for doing this. Oh, you're really welcome. I've been looking forward to talking with you some more because after I read your really interesting script. Thank you. Thank you. That actually means a lot. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Brandon, do you want to start us off here? and We'll dive right in. Sure. So I was going to start us off here in the sort of prologue to Coming Home period. A couple of things you did before that film. So before Coming Home, you appeared in two films by filmmakers that we have discussed on the show. The first one being Frank Perry. You acted in his Man on a Swing, starring Joel Gray, who had just won his Oscar for Cabaret. So would you be able to tell us a little bit about how yeah, you that, got that, that gig? Sure, I'd love to. Uh, that was actually one of the very first films that I did. Um, I don't remember. I did a film a kind of experimental film with Norman Mailer before that called Maidstone. But this is one of the first, uh, you know, studio films that I did. And um, it was a real learning experience because I had only worked in um, commerce, done a few commercials as a teenager and in theater. And so when they sat me down for a close-up on an Apple box, and I was supposed to actually be, uh, in a car interviewed by this Robinson, uh, Robertson. Um, I, w I had no idea what was going on because there was nobody to talk to. I was sitting on an Apple box. It was all very strange to me, <laughs> but I had a great time and it was a really, um, good opportunity, you know, right off at the beginning of my career. Did you uh, learn anything on that film that you took along with you on a uh, project afterwards? Um, yeah, I learned that uh, you really have to think on your feet, and nobody's going to tell you in advance uh, what you know the technical things about uh, filming that you don't know. So all throughout my career, my film career, I always kind of. Uh, been kind of uncomfortable uh, with not knowing exactly what's going on technologically, you know, because um, I just was very at home on the stage. That's uh, how I started acting. I was in musicals in high school and did plays, and, you know, I felt really comfortable on the stage. And um, so when I started filming, I, I, you know, it was like thrown into the Right, thrown into the water without knowing how to swim, really. <laughs> and you really, and and I, and I, you know, really enjoyed it. But it was kind of um, catch as catch can, as far as that's concerned. Frank Perry was really a sweet man, and and I really loved his uh, um, film David and Lisa. That's how I, so I, I I had a lot of respect for him as a filmmaker. Um, I was really lucky in my career to work with. A number of filmmakers that I admire because I, you know, I love film, but I'd never thought of uh, being a film actor as I was growing up. I just worked on the stage, and that's that's you know what I knew. So when I came to New York and 
started auditioning for things. I had an agent. I was, uh, you know, ready to go for anything <laughs> that I could that I could get. So it's really exciting. Following Man on the Swing, you worked with the infamous director Ken Russell on the notorious little film called Valentino. So I'm uh, dying to hear how you got that role and what that filming experience was like. There's a lot of interesting parts to that. Uh, um, one of the screenwriters on that film, uh, his name is John Byram. He also directed uh, a number of films, um, uh, Razor's Edge with Bill Murray and Heartbreak with uh, C.C. Spacek about uh, Kerouac. And, uh, he was a really good screenwriter, but I went to high school with him and actually did some movies that we made in high school, super eight movies. He um, went out to Hollywood and uh, was writing with Ken Russell's script for Valentina. And um, he told me that I, you know, when I came to Hollywood from New York, he said, oh, you have to meet Ken. You know, I, I got this great part for you. It's Lorna Sinclair, she's a starlet in a, a, a silent movie, you know, features with uh, Rudolph Valentino that Nuriev was playing. It was his first role, his first acting role, actually, for uh, Rudolph um, Nuriev. And uh, so, I, so I met with Ken, and I actually had read the script, the part of well, um, the script that I was um, auditioning for. And I, and I met with Ken and I, I just was the character when I met with him. So, uh, he said, yeah, okay, you can do it. And, um, so I, w I went to, uh, worked out the whole scene with my friend, uh, Mark Baker, um, before I went to London. And then I went to London and, um, we, we went to rehearse the scene, which is, uh, uh, a um, she she plays a starlet. Uh, it's Lorna Sinclair. I played a starlet who was in uh, this um, film where we have these fifty-pound, you know, Marie Antoinette-like costumes on, and uh, he's a courtier, and I'm his, um, you know, his romantic partner, and. Um, I forget what the movie was originally that, uh, Rudolph Valentino did that we were, you know, reenacting. Anyway, so, so the scene, the main, there, there are a number of scenes, but the main scene was a, a, a sex scene, a, a bedroom scene where we go back to his bungalow during the lunch hour filming and, and we have this, you know, crazy sex scene. And, um, I had this long monologue. I'm, fantasizing being a rabbit by the sheep, you know, which was a, a character that Rudolph Valentino um, also played. And uh, Rudolph Nuria was so uncomfortable with this scene, he hated it. It's like he, he just didn't want it, uh, want to do it at all. Because, first of all, it was his first acting gig, and he, he didn't have any lines during the scene. Hardly. I had this long monologue while I'm on top of him naked. And so, you know, understandingly, that's going to make him uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> so he really wanted 
to do everything he could to get that scene out of the movie. But Ken Russell wanted to do everything he could to keep the scene in the movie. So I'm kind of like in between all these, you know, <laughs> forces. I, of course, want to keep the scene in the movie because it's my scene. Mm-hmm. And so um, at one point, it got so tense. And a lot of this I was in denial of. I didn't, I didn't pay attention to, you know, what was going on between Rudolph and, and Ken. But at one point I, um, he says, I, I, you know, I can't do it anymore. I won't, I won't work with her, you know. And, uh, so Ken came up with the idea that, well, we had filmed a lot of it. He came up with the idea he just, he, was, he didn't have to be together at the same time. I was, you know, he, he thought, my angle separately from his angle and so it, it worked out it was perfect but I just held on you know I I know that um I could have very easily you know if I got in if I let myself be upset and, and kind of give up and throw a fit or whatever you know about what was going on during the scene but I but I didn't you know I actually just called up my girlfriend and in Hollywood, he said, come out and, you know, be there for me you know, mm-hmm. while I'm doing this. And she did. And, and then we took a vacation in France for a couple of weeks afterwards in between. And then we went back and filmed some more. But it was, you know, it was like, like a war <laughs> without the killing. <laughs> so. But it was great. I love, I love the scene. It was very funny and I'm really proud of it, you know. Especially since I know, you know, what it took to, to actually get it done. And you just have to, you know, persevere. Mm-hmm. To me, that's the whole secret of success is perseverance, right? Correct. So you do a few films, you know, like it was already stated with Maidstone, Man on a Swing, Valentino. And then I remember coming across one of the only interviews I can find with you. It's actually on YouTube, but it's an audio clip where you got the script for Coming Home. And the way that Vi was written on the page, I, th- I believe you re- referenced her as a very Bette Midler type. Like there was like this shtick almost to her. Um, so what was your process of reading for Coming Home, getting the character of Vi and really like bringing her from script to screen? Well, that was one of the more interesting experiences I had because um, in this script, uh, I think there were uh, five or five uh, screenwriters that were involved in it. It just went on. Uh, Jane Fonda started the project like five years before or so before it was actually produced, and um, they went through oh five. Like I said, five screenwriters, and the, the second to the last one was Waldo Stahl, who was really wonderful, uh, well-known screenwriter, and and uh, he. He uh, was ill and couldn't couldn't come on the set and continue it. So I so I read his script and it was really wonderful. It was very um, character oriented and and uh, when I auditioned for it, um, there was a scene. I, I did a tape with the casting director and uh, also one of my best friends was. Two of my best friends were also up for the same part, so it was really, it was really fun because we used to 
We used to drive to auditions in the same car. Anyway, so I was doing this. I did this scene where uh, Vi um, finds out that he and um, Jane Fonda's character had a, have a, an opportunity to go to R and R to see their boyfriend and their husband. And um, I realized that I really would like to, but I can't because I feel obligated and and worried about my brother who's in the fight uh, the veterans hospital there and he's really in an unstable condition. And so I, I was really disappointed, but I was kind of um, frustrated and complex about the whole thing. And so did that scene. And I heard later that that's one of the reasons why um, I got the part, because I was able to, uh, you know, communicate that conflict and that disappointment in not being able to go and yet, and yet, you know, feeling uh, love and obligation for being there for my brother. And uh, I think the reason that I could really do that well is because I had a brother <laughs> that mm -hmm. I was really, really close to, and he, he was in the Kim Milford, uh, Richard, he went by Richard Kim Milford, and he, we were all, he was my younger brother, two years younger than me. So it was kind of a similar relationship that I had with him. Uh, as I had with, as I had with, uh, you know, uh, her brother's character, played by Robert, Bob Carradine in that. So, um, yeah, it was, the whole, uh, process of the script was really fascinating to me because Hal Ashby being a real, uh, starting off as a, a wonderful film editor had a lot of confidence in being able to put together something um, as we went along. In other words, the script wasn't finished. There were a lot of scenes that, that we had to improvise um, while we were filming. And uh, that, you know, gave a lot of opportunity for spontaneity. And, and uh, just the way he filmed was very creative. And, and I, I loved it because it, was, it felt really collaborative. You know, and um, so I, I, I actually, <laughs> when we, the Bob Jones, who was the, um, the editor, uh, I mean, had been an editor, but he also, he was put on the set as the, as the screenwriter who, who would make the day-to-day -day changes if they needed to. And I got the first, I went to the set and I, and I got my first day on the set and I got the blue pages which are the pages that have been uh, changed, you know. And um, I found that, that he had, or someone had taken out all the, all the best, the, the um, inconsistent uh, parts of my character. In other words, the things that kind of didn't make any sense. Why would she say that, you know? And But those are the things that I held on to to create the character, you know, because those, that's where the, uh, that's where to me the gold is when you create a character is all the things that don't make sense. You have to make, you have to, as an actor, make, do the work to make this, make them make sense. And so those things had all been eliminated, but I just put them back in and <laughs> nobody noticed what it was better for me that way. But, you know, I just like characters that are not, uh, totally, um, consistent 
Well, it, it's funny that you mentioned that they're human to you because the other thing that you know makes Penelope Milford, the actress, so important to the podcast with us is that, and then you heard it on the episode, was Brandon and I, if we had been in charge of giving away the Oscars, both gave you the win because we felt that... Really? We, we, yeah, we did. You were our winner that year. Um, so if, you know, if wow. we felt that actors can act and be a character or actors can just be the character... And it actually, uh, we termed the coin, or we, we coined the term, the Penelope Milford effect for our show. When we review a performance, and oh. <laughs> yeah, when we review a performance, and it, it, you forget that you're watching an actor because some actors could have played Vi, you were Vi, and so that's how, why we coined that term for future shows. So it definitely came off like you just weren't acting, but you were this character, and honestly, it's perfection. Bravo for that. Oh wow! I really, I'm really flattered. I really am. <laughs> I'm really uh, happy that you told me that. Anyway, because you know that's I, I, I do these things for myself. You know, as I work for myself in order to be the, you know, most truthful as I can. But you know, you don't always know if it's going to work or people are going to appreciate it. So I really like hearing that you that you picked up on you know how my process and and actually. Uh, I, when I was listening to your podcast, you talked about how you like the character of Bond in, in the film because it seemed to fit in and not just be a, you know, a, let's say a, a foil for uh, Jane's character, you know, uh, that it was actually a full character in herself. And it, the whole the whole film was like that. I mean, I think you really got a sense. It wasn't just this romantic interest, and then this sub subplot, and then these other minor characters. I mean, everybody was. It was a very balanced film in terms of uh, being whole characters. And one thing that I wanted to tell you is, I'm so happy that you that that, that you picked up on that because while we were filming um, uh, coming home, I told you that you know it was very fluid and. Nobody knew what was going to happen from one moment to the next. We didn't even have an ending to the film, you know, mm-hmm. while we were already shooting. And um, I went in for a costume uh, costume session with Ann Roth, this wonderful, wonderful woman who's still working and done many, many wonderful films, costume designers, to pick out the, you know, what what Vi was going to wear. And I said, well, you know. What, what, what am I going to wear for the, what is she going to wear for the, the scene after her brother kills himself and they go out, you know, and she goes, oh, oh, that's not in the film <laughs> anymore. And I said, what? What are you talking about? She said, yeah, they decided or somebody decided that she really wouldn't be there for that because she would have gone, she wouldn't have given up that trip to, uh, Hong Kong or wherever they went for R and R, so she wouldn't be there for her brother when he, when he, uh, you know, takes his life. Uh, John would have that scene instead, you know, the, the reaction to that. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was, so, you know, like I was really shocked. And um, so the next day or so, we're sitting around filming the. Um, the picnic scene, you know, out there on the 4th of July. And, uh, we're, 
in those days, you could wait for the sun to be in the right place. And there's 80 extras, and most of them paraplegic. Mm-hmm. And um, we're sitting there at the table just waiting for hours, waiting for the sun to be in the right position. And um, I said to Hal, asked you the director, uh, I hear I'm, we're not having that scene in the film. Um, uh, he said, yeah, yeah, that's right. And I said, well, <laughs> it's pretty ballsy of me to say this because I was so young and really nobody in terms of the people in the, in the cast as far as, you know, power positions or being well known. But then again, when you're young, you have the arrogance to be able to, to say things that are truthful that you might think twice about when you're older, you know? And, uh, so I said to him, I said, how, if I'm not, if we don't have that scene in the film, then there's no reason for Bai as a character even to be in this film, you know, other than just as a, you know, to set Jane's hair, mm-hmm. you know, um, or me as a, or me as an actress, because it really, you know, it really, that's the crux of the whole character, how she, the relationship with her brother, you know, and, uh, he didn't say anything, and next thing I knew, it was back in. So I just kind of learned to speak up, you know, because you have to always protect the integrity of your work, you know. And and to me, when I'm, you know, when I'm really involved in 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 the character and the life of a of a story that's not my own, I really um, feel responsible for it, you know, mm-hmm. and. Um, so I'm glad I did that, and it worked out. <laughs> for sure. So the movie... I think co- it was better for the whole film because it's made it more balanced. You know? Oh, definitely, definitely. So the movie comes out in February of 78. It's pretty much over a full year until some awards chatter starts to happen. Coming Home starts to get a bunch of nominations. And then when was it between the chatter of possible nominations to, to you find out you're nominated? I mean, what's the process of an actor and what's going through an actor's mind during the time of buzz to actual nomination? Well, this is really interesting for me because um, I was never uh, kind of oriented towards the business of acting. Um, I just, I never really aspired to be, you know, the greatest actress in the world when I was young. I just did it because uh, my whole family was oriented that way, and my brother was professional, and I was professional, and, you know, from when we were teenagers. And so I just always just took it for granted. And um, so when, uh, after I'd done the film, my brother, was, he, he was very um, much more, uh, paid much more attention to the business and, and he told me that I had gotten some reviews where some people had say, said I should be nominated for an Oscar. And I, and I hadn't read, I don't, I, you know, I kind of shy away from reading reviews because I don't want to be, <laughs> I don't want to be, uh, disappointed, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, he said, yeah, you, you know, you, you really should, uh, start a campaign for the nomination. I said, what are you talking about? He was friends with Candy Clark and um, uh, uh, Susan um, Susan Terrell, you know. Oh yes. Who, who did their own who, who who did their own campaign for the for the for the Oscar, 
and were, were nominated. And I said, because normally the studios do that for you, you know, and you don't have to think about it or put up any money or anything. But in this case, and for coming home, nobody had approached me and said, we're going to, you know, we're going to start a campaign for you for an Oscar because there were so many people that were, you know, well known and, um, in that film. And there was a lot of competition for attention, I think, you know, and, and I just didn't even think about it. And so, um, and plus, I'm, I'm kind of shy about awards. Uh, not that I've gotten very many, but, um, it kind of, um, uh, makes me self-conscious, you know, and thinking about my work in a way that I, I don't really want to, you know, in a competitive way that is difficult for me. So, um, so I said, okay, but I was interested in the political process of campaigning because I thought it would be, you know, that was at the beginning of people, um, really, you know, the general public really learning about the trade and how things went on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I just, you know, hired a, a publicist, Gutman and Pam and, Eight a month for a couple of months, and they started the campaign, and then the, the studio joined in and contributed too, and sent me on a you know campaign tour. So that was really interesting for me to do that. And Gene Fisco, who is from Chicago, where I'm from, went out and interviewed my parents. He did like a kind of a documentary or report um, on his news program about you know. Uh, what I was, the camp, you know, what it is behind the scenes to campaign for an Oscar. So they went and interviewed my parents at their home. It was really exciting for me to, to actually feel that I was, you know, part of, of that and wasn't just a kind of a pawn, you know. Mm -hmm. So you get the nomination and you're there on Oscar night. Can you describe what it feels like to be there in that room on the night and if you expected coming home to win anything? What were your feelings going into it? Well, I my parents came out and, you know, my brother was my date. And so the four of us were all together and... Uh, uh, Actually, my mother flew out on the plane with a sandwich loaf that said, in, written in olives, cut out olives, yay Oscar on the top, and she had some little chocolate Oscar, you know, lollipops made. It was very sweet. And they stayed at the Chateau Marmont when it was affordable. And um, we all went to the Oscars, but we were in a limousine coming around to the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion during and there was a protest for the PLO, uh, Palestine Liberation Organization, and we had to get out of the car halfway up the door and kind of run to get into the door before it closed. And we missed the because it was a block and the protest was blocking the traffic, and so uh, we had to like actually hightail it into, <laughs> into the pavilion. <laughs> Without, um, you know, so we could get there on time before it started. So it was kind of exciting, but, um, missed the whole red carpet thing. And, um, we, oh, I was sitting there. I had no idea that we were on camera because I think it was the first 
year that they actually had the cameras on you when you were, you know, when they announced your nomination. So I probably was some, uh, somebody told me I looked like I was passed out or something, not asleep. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I, that's my tendency when I'm under stress is I can't stay awake. But, um, so, <laughs> so also, this is kind of uh, too much information, but, um, I had, I had gotten, we used to wear pantyhose in those days, you know, mm-hmm. and I had gotten a pair of new pantyhose to wear under my dress at, at Saks, and, but I hadn't noticed that they had like this thing called control top. So it's like wearing a girdle, kind of, you know? Mm-hmm. And so under the rush, I hadn't had a time to, to go pee. And so I'm sitting there, <laughs> like throughout the whole ceremony, with this girdle on and having to pee and, and trying to stay awake. And, you know, all this. It, to me, it was like a, a crisis time, you know? <laughs> I love, I love crises, so, you know, I enjoyed it. And um, when I didn't have any expectations of winning at all, I hadn't even thought about what I might say if I did. So um, I was really happy, actually, that Maggie Smith won because she was, she's one of my favorite actresses. I, I love love her. So if I was going to lose to anybody, I wanted it to be her. <laughs> but they were all great a great, great group of people that I was with, and I, you know, so, so I was just very happy to just be there, you know? I'm always curious, um, because a lot of the times in today's speeches, whether it's for the Golden Globes or the Oscars, you know, the actor or actress will get up on stage and say, I thank you to my category sisters or my category brothers. As a category, do you actually get to spend time with your fellow nominees? Like, did you get to uh, get to know like Maureen Stapleton or Meryl or Maggie or Diane Cannon at all a little bit during this uh, whole season? Oh no, not at all. Because um, first of all, when they it was totally different in those days. They had no festivities surrounding or gifts or anything surrounding you know the nominations. I mean, I only learned that I was nominated because my um, Agent called me up in the morning, and it was like six o'clock in, in the morning, and then heard nothing from anybody until you know, I think Corey Hay. You know Corey Hay from uh, National Enquirer. Uh, the uh, name is not familiar. No. Anymore. Yeah, he was. He, he gave me a, a luncheon for a few friends, you know, to celebrate my nomination. But other than that, there was no nothing. You know, no word from anybody. I. I did go on on tour and did TV shows in New York and um, Chicago, but uh, I never met um, any of the other um, nominees. I think I saw one of them in the bathroom, you know, coming and going at the during the awards. But <laughs> no, I ne- I never met any of them. So, but Jane, you know, except Jane and the people that I worked with. As a matter of fact, when um, when uh, they announced that um, Maggie Smith had won the uh, the award for Best Supporting Actress, Jane was sitting behind me a couple of and she just leaned over and she said, oh, don't worry about that. I 
when I was first nominated, I lost to Maggie Smith too. So <laughs> <laughs> I love little tidbit stories like that. <laughs> yeah, she was nominated for uh, They Shoot Horses, mm-hmm. don't they? And uh, Maggie Smith was Prime of Machine Brody. Which is wonderful for them. It is. They're both wonderful for them. They are. Um, So, one of my favorite, I find this very intriguing. Um, Taraji P. Henson was nominated in 2008 for The Curious Case of Benjamin Button and went on The View uh, for for, for, uh, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Oh, right. And she went on The View a few years after that and explained, despite her having a nomination, she never received any offers from Hollywood for any films or TV. So my question to you is, um, especially since the times are so different, after you are nominated, what kind of happens there? Do you have to go back out on the audition circuit, or do you get things that are thrown at you and people want you in part of your projects? I mean, what what happens to an actor's life, essentially? Well, you know, I, I had, had no previous experience, so what happened to me was um, I, I, I really don't like the audition process, you know, that's not, not too many people do, but it's really not enjoyable for me. Um, I like to meet with a director and, you know, you used to be able to even bypass the casting directors if you had a good agent, you know, but I, I, I just, it's very intimidating for me to, to audition. So, um, but it's totally necessary in this business. So, after the nomination, I didn't know what to expect, but um, I I got some offers, yeah. And uh, I don't know, I I got you always have to audition in Hollywood, you know. I I don't unless you're a really big star, I don't think you know you can you can get any roles without people auditioning without making a tape or or meeting people, you know. So I so I did. Um, have some offers. I did some work that I liked. Some of it, you know, I had this, got this film with Richard Harris, um, but then it, it turned out that they totally changed the script and the characters and the situation, and he didn't even want to do the film, but he was contacted to do. So that was not a really um, great experience for me, you know. And also, unfortunately, I had the idea that now that I was had this Best Supporting Actress nomination, I could maybe get some roles in a, uh, leading roles or at least have some auditions for some leading roles. And um, that was not the wise expectation that I had because, you know, I should have continued to, to search out the kind of characters that I played in, in Coming Home, you know, for all, cause, cause, uh, and, and not try to... Um, be, uh, you know, to go too far too soon, you know, in terms of my reaching for a larger role. So, I, I don't know, I, um, I kind of went, wanted to go back on stage too, because I really loved the stage and I had missed it. So I went back to New York and uh, did some plays um, uh, right afterwards. But I also did a few television movies 
And um, let's see, what did I do? Uh, Samuel Goldman Jr.'s first um, uh, producing um, credit called The Golden Seal. And I, I meet people today that, you know, that, that remembered me as a from their childhood mm-hmm. <laughs> in the Golden Seal because that was a big movie for kids. So, but originally in the Golden Seal, uh, I was supposed to, my character was supposed to be based on a book and it was changed, the character was changed at the last minute from, um, a prostitute, an ex-prostitute to an ex-nun. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of what happened to a lot of um, films that I got into, uh, uh, you know, work that I did after coming home. It started out being one thing, and then they ended up being another thing entirely. I think to have a really good career, you really need to have a, a strong relationship with um, an agent that's supporting you and guiding you. And I just really have that. I had um, some good agents, and uh, uh, but never any real close relationship. So. Well, in the late 80s, you did a little film called Heathers that is still pretty popular to this day. And I'm curious how that movie came to you and what it was like making it. Oh, yeah. That came to me at a time when, um, you know, I really wasn't getting too many offers, but I had, you know, this. Uh, the casting director was really um, wanted me to do this film, and so I I just for it, and uh, it was really a great script to read because it was so far out in terms of you know the black humor and just just the normal uh, so 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 daring in terms of the script um, that I I loved doing it. I uh, had a great time. It was really fun. I love the character that I got to play. And um, uh, somebody, uh, I think one of your readers or your uh, followers wrote in about um, working with Winona Ryder. And I I loved working with her because I remember her kind of uh, spirit that she had that really um, I admired. And reminded me of when I was when I was younger, when I was her age. She um she was auditioning for, or she was upper role in the um the film The Mermaid or Mermaid. Oh, with Cher, yes. Cher, uh, um, yeah, right. And uh, who was the director of that? Uh, Magnus or? Uh, I can find out. The in producer, one seconds. of the. Uh, one of the one of the high powered guys, the director, I think. Richard Benjamin directed Richard it. Richard Benjamin. Anyway, Richard Benjamin. Mm-hmm. Really? Oh well, maybe it was the producer that wanted to see her, and we were filming, and she's in the makeup chair, and and they wanted her to come in, you know, to meet with them, and she said, like, no, I have no time. We're, we're filming, you know. If they want to meet with me, they can come here. And, you know, I'm going to okay, <laughs> Winona. Right. <laughs> and I love I love that about, you know, young people because they 
are great and arrogant speak up for themselves and you know and I look back on on how I was when I was younger and I was like the only way you can get anywhere and do anything you know in the kind of business it's a kind of a rough business um film Hollywood and filmmaking even theater is not you know easy so you have to be really stick up for yourself and 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 be out there you know for sure now that kind of leads then into my next question here because after um you do heathers um, the 90s, uh, according to your IMDb profile, now granted, your IMDb doesn't hold your um, theater credits, but your performances on film seem to be scattered a little bit, and we see you last on screen in Night of the Lawyers in 1997. So after you do Night of the Lawyers, <laughs> after you do Night of the Lawyers, was it purposely that you stepped away from the camera, or did you just want to focus on theater throughout the rest of your career? No, I never purposely stepped away from anything. I just, you know, aside from your movie career, you also have a, kind of an emotional life and a, you know, day-to-day living that everybody has, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I, my brother had, um, in, in 88, he was, I was very close to him and he was a really uh, wonderful performer in theater and, and uh, music. And um, on screen, he was. I don't remember Corvette Summer. I do not uh, know. Annie, Annie Potts, and okay. Oh, in love Annie Potts. A, a really, he, yeah, he was in that, and um, he, but he he starred in uh, Jesus and and Rocky and Rocky Horror Show on Broadway, and and uh, sang for Jeff Beck Group for you know for six months tour, and he was ro- wonderful. Uh, performer and uh, I, I was really close to him. We spent a lot of time together in Hollywood and New York. And um, he passed away uh, when he was like 37, and that was around 88. And so, uh, you know, and at the time, I also uh, had been married, and my marriage broke up, and so I was, and my dad had passed away. You know how these things happen? They all happen at once. It seems like. And so I went back to Chicago and did um, a John McNaughton picture, Normal Life. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, I was kind of on my way. I was just taking a break in Chicago, and I was on my way back to New York, uh, you know, in a couple of years or, what, or in a year. And in the meantime, uh, there was a Chicago filmmaker that did this night as a lawyer. I just, because, you know, Kate Walsh? Uh yes. Kate Walsh. Yes. Yeah, she was she was my roommate in in Chicago when I went back there after um in in eighty eighty eight or eighty nine maybe it was the early nineties I don't know and she um she was in uh normal life with me and she also uh she and I did um portrait of a serial killer part two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, also, the, then there was a, another. Uh, some people that were involved in that were involved, you know, involved with Night of the Lawyer. So I did a few things there, um, kind of on the way to New York, back to New York. Uh, and then I went to New York and did some um, some uh, regional theater. 
I got the regional theater that I did, which I really, really loved. Um, uh, after that, I like in the early 90s, I did um, come back to the five and dying, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, by the original, in Ohio, was the original um, guy who wrote that at his theater company. And um, did Michael Wedding uh, at Seven Stage. And, you know, so I, I, lo- I love. I loved working in the theater because it was just very um, kind of everyday, predictable, you know, and you didn't have to be like always um, fighting to stay in the game, you know, which is kind of my experience in film. It's exciting, but, you know, it just, it gets kind of tiring after a while, you know? Yeah. Um, Don't mean to be. (laughs) Oh, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. So I, I guess my next question to you then, <laughs> to kind of follow up with that, do you think that you would return to film? Like, do you think that you would pursue film and television again, or do you feel like that life for you is you, that's behind you? No, I don't feel anything is behind me. I have no idea what's ahead of me. Mm-hmm. So um, I just am so grateful for all the experiences I've had, you know, in the past. I I just love like I I say that I that it's that it's exhausting what you have to go through to you know in your career at least for me um, but it's exciting and I look back on those experiences and I think I I'm proud of myself you know and I'm and I'm so grateful to have worked with all these people that are like uh, doing their best to make this kind of work you know and I just I just don't know. Um, how, you know, a lot of times I, I lucked into these opportunities of, of having these, you know, being part of, of films like Coming Home and Ken Russell's film, Valentino. I had a great, great time doing that, you know, working with Rudolph Nureyev and, you know, all the, all the wonderful experiences you get to have when you're, you know, working in Hollywood and in New York and making films. It's just like, I'm just happy that that happened, but also I have no idea. Right now I'm uh, kind of a working on an old house that I bought in uh, about 15 years ago, upstate New York, and I just I'm almost finished um, restoring it because it was just a mess when I bought it. But it's it's an old um, you know brick Victorian house that I've been working on a lot. So I spent a lot of time doing that. I've done some plays up here, um, upstate. Um, I did uh, Bug, which was a Tracy Letts play. Yes. Um, it was done off Broadway. They did a movie of it, I think. With was, Ashley Judd. I wasn't crazy about the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it wasn't. Because it's a very funny play. It's like, I love the black humor of, of Heather's. It was, you know, it was insane. But um, exciting to do. I I had the best. I think I had the the best line in the whole movie. In Heather's, I, Mrs. Ms. Fleming said uh, she's being interviewed on television during the you know suicide epidemic crisis, mm-hmm. and she says one of the. I think the line is one of the most important decisions a teenager can make is whether to kill themselves or not. And I think that was like. 
signature for the whole film <laughs> in terms of surreal black humor. And it is, it, it is, it is an important, you know, it is an important question that might come up when you're a teenager. Very true. So it has been 42 years now than since the release of Coming Home, and it's definitely kept its place in American pop culture history and importance in film. Looking back on it 42 years later, is there anything that you would change, whether it's a single moment in your experience or in the film, or is it perfect the way it is? Oh, no. I think, you know, everything is perfect the way it is. <laughs> the, way it is. Like, the whole concept of changing anything that happened in the past, you know, I, I totally uh, not into that. I give up on the whole idea. I think that things happen for the, you know, whether they seem difficult or satisfying or not, they happen for a reason. You know, you might not find out that reason until many, many years later, but I, I love the whole experience and I think the film itself is just, um, it's just a, a really brilliant example of great filmmaking, uh, you know, during the 70s. I mean, that kind of process that we were allowed to to have during those years. I mean, we took three months to make a film. Valentino, they took a year to make it. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, nobody has that luxury anymore. And as a matter of fact, when people used to come on the set, I mean, the, if any anybody from United Artists that that you know was that produced Coming Home was well known for. Um, letting the artists have creative freedom, you know, the directors, and because it was actually started by uh, artists. It was started by Mary Pickford, and I forget who else. But, um, so, so if anybody came on the set uh, of Coming Home that was, you know, related to the studio, had anything to do with, you know, money or controlling or anything, you know, Hal wouldn't stand for it. Hal actually wouldn't stand for it. <laughs> He'd just throw them right off the set. I mean, that kind of um, independence, I think, is probably um, happening again because of, you know, uh, because there's more, you know, indie, indie filmmaking. So I just love, I, I love film because of, um, let's say, the kind of films that John Cassavetes made and, you know, Fellini and Pasolini. I just love foreign films and, I'm so happy that um, uh, Parasite yes. got uh, that picture. Yep. Because it just has, it just we just need to be, you know, less isolated in terms of our artistic um, expression. We need to be more um, uh, open to, you know, uh, world, other world views. And I think that that was really, a really wonderful, you know, advancement that, that that academy um allowed parasite to actually win the <laughs> best picture. It was wonderful. I also love uh that that uh Renee Zellweger um uh, was one for uh Judy because I I thought she was so so brilliant in that uh 
um, because my brother and I actually knew, knew Judy during that very time that, that, that film, where that film took place, um, the time when she was really struggling, Judy Garland was really struggling with difficulty and uh, financial difficulty in her career. That's when we first came to New York and my brother uh, met Lorna Locke, Judy's daughter, in a PCS professional Frederick high school. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we got to know, we got to know Judy and Joey and uh, Lorna during that time. And Renee Zellia really, really nailed it. She really did a great, great, you know, um, representation of, of Judy Garland and, and her, how she really was, you know? Yeah. You know, I gotta say, despite, like I mentioned earlier, a couple years ago, you and I had been in contact for a project, and then between this and everything, you know, it's been a great, great admirer and fan moment for me. And so I have a fan question as coming from me. And one of my, (laughs) if that's okay, um, one, (laughs) one of my favorite shows of the last couple years has been from your co-star of Coming Home, um, Frank and Gracie with Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin. And the show is about to end it with, with its seventh season coming up. And I was always hoping in between that you might have popped in somewhere uh, to do like a little coming home reunion because Jane and Lily seem to have a lot of ladies of Academy past pop in as guest stars. Um, I got to say, I'm a little, I'm a little sad that never came to fruition, but again, I don't know. Are, are you still in contact with each other? Do you get to see her at all? Me and Jane? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, she did come by the neighborhood here a few years ago. She's like, she's doing this movie in Woodstock, actually, called Peace, Love, and what is it? Misunderstanding or something. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And so I did go by, um, I did go by and say hello, and she was really nice. But, you know, Jane is, um, she's one, she was wonderful to work with. Mm-hmm. And, but she's, for me, I don't feel, you know, it's easy to get close to her. Mm-hmm. Um, I really respected uh, everything that was going on and, you know, all the business that she was doing and at the time that she's, but, um, it's funny, we, we were at a part after, after filming, we met at a party and, and she came up to me and she said, well, I read in the, you know, I had given an interview and they had, they had asked me, you know, like, um, like you're asking, you know, uh, well, are you friends, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, are you and Jane friends? And I'm, and I'm saying like, um, well, I don't want to say that we're not friends, you know, because I don't want to say that. <laughs> was, mm-hmm. and I don't like her or anything, you know, or we didn't get along. But I said, well, yeah, we're friends, but you know, and we, I don't see her because she's very busy and all this other stuff, you know, and then that's what I said in the interview. And then she came up to me at a party afterwards and said, so I hear you said we're friends. <laughs> and I, I was, I was kind of like, you know, uh, didn't know how to respond to that. You know, I, I should have had a little bit more, um, you know, a sense of humor mm-hmm. and picked up on it. But, you know, it's funny because in coming home, I, I have, 
kind of confidence to be um, her equal, mm-hmm. you know, because of um, because of the role for some reason. And so, but outside of the role, you know, I, I am intimidated. I'm a little intimidated by um, people that are in a, you know, that are, uh, what do you call it? Stars or whatever, you know, because I'm, I just never, um, I never considered myself part of that pack, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, I like Jane, and I think she's a great woman. I actually love her father. I worked with her father and all this living graduate. Um, we did, it was a play that we did live on television. It's kind of a recreation of, you know, that old thing where they used to have plays on television. What was it called? The Playhouse 90 or something like that. I don't know. Mm. Uh, in the old days, this is in the, in the 50s. But, um, so we did the, I did a play with the father. Uh, I played John Lithgow's wife and, uh, Timothy Hutton and Lois Smith. And Harry Dean Stanton and Cloris Leachman, one and George Gazard, wonderful, wonderful cast. You know, I, and then we did it for a month in a theater uh, on Wilshire Boulevard in Hollywood. You know, after we did one night in uh, live on live television, we went down to Houston, I think, and did it at the, the college, the university down there. But yeah, so. Uh, and I, you know, I knew her brother, um, Peter, and, uh, you know, just, um, acquaintance, acquaintance. Mm. But I think they're a great, great family. I have a funny story about Jane that a friend of mine told me, used to babysit for her kids when they were young. Uh, they were skiing once at, in Baylor. Aspen or something like that. They were having a pillow fight and she was, um, you know, she was their, uh, kind of nanny and, uh, they were having a pillow fight and Jane comes knocking on the door in the hotel and Jane goes, what's going on? What's going on? And she says, oh, we're having a pillow fight. We're having fun. And Jane says, we're not here to have fun. We're here to ski. Which I think is like, <laughs> Perfect, Jane Fonda. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love hearing that. See, these those are the fun stories that we would never know unless we get to talk to someone about this. So, thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. So, I have have lots of fun stories that can only be told in the you know (laughs) close friends. But um, those are some of them. So. Yeah, most definitely. Thank you. Um, now, you have touched on a few of the questions that our listeners had sent to us, but we actually have one that wasn't touched yet. So I want to throw that your way really quick from Nika. Um, he asked, you, okay. you've appeared in a number of Broadway slash off-Broadway productions throughout your career. Do you have a preference between acting in film or theater? And does stage experience make one a better film actor? Um, I really feel at home in the theater. Um, I love it because everybody is 
consider responsible for their own work. And um, it's kind of a spontaneous um, situation. You really can't, you know, stop and start over again. You know, and so it's a very exciting. And also it um, allows for regular life. You know, you know you're going have to be at the theater at 7.30 and you go on a date and then you're, you know, you're out when it's over. So I love that kind of lifestyle. Um, I love film as a medium. I would love to, you know, collaborate in the, in the production more. The, the films that I participated in were very much uh, studio films and so there was a lot of pressure to, um, you know, to uh, just stay in your cubicle until your um, your part was on, and so you know, it wasn't very collaborative in that sense. Um, but as far as being as acting is concerned, uh, I always think of it as pretty much the same. I think that theater really. Um, Gives you a background in um, uh, a good relationship with the audience, you know, which I uh, it's, it's difficult in film to have that because you have to really imagine the audience for yourself, you know. So you, the audience is not a physical presence, and so that that it makes it a little bit more um, complicated in terms of. Um, you know, thinking about um, to have a relationship with a with a camera, or to have a relationship with um, the world that might come and see the film is is to me um, very kind of you have to really uh, uh, think in a different way than you do on on the stage. You know, I I actually. Um, because I was not comfortable uh, on film set as I was on the stage. Uh, when I was in Chicago and in Minneapolis, I had, uh, I created a, a workshop for uh, actors, professional actors that wanted to, let's say, go find work in Hollywood and film and in New York. And so I would have a scene study uh, class, which means you, you, I had, we just recreated scenes from uh, movie scripts that I had and uh, filmed them. And so so the actors could actually have the real experience um, before they actually were on the, you know, hired on a set. So I thought this is what I would have liked to have had, you know, the experience of a, of a class where I could feel comfortable and make mistakes, you know, on a film set. And actually, you know, help out with the with the lighting and the camera and stuff like that. So I actually know know what those parts, you know, what goes on uh, uh, from the technical point of view too. So I had a great time doing that. You know, for seven years I did that, and I really um, enjoyed it. There you go. Now, don't forget too, everyone listening. Um, Let's all give a very big round of applause and a very happy birthday to Penelope here as well. Don't think we forgot about that. Thank you for so much for spending your birthday oh. with us. <laughs> it is my birthday, but when you hear this, it might not be my birthday. 
right? It so does. It's my birthday at this very, very moment, yes, that I'm taking. Yes. Thank you so much for taking the time, especially on your big day, to do this with us. Thank you. Seriously. Yes, this has been well, fantastic. Wonderful... Please, thank you so much. <laughs> well, it, oh, Alexa just typed up in the background, by the way. <laughs> you know who Alexa is? Oh, yes. <laughs> she said, sorry, I don't know that one. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh... I I had a great I had a great time with you guys. Thank you so much for for listening to my stories and uh, yeah, it's a it's a wonderful birthday present for me. Oh, thank you. All right, Brandon, do you have anything else before uh, we all bid everyone a farewell who's listening? I think we covered everything that I had here. So uh, just once again, thank you, Penelope, for uh, giving us an hour of your time. This is fantastic. We very much appreciate it. Oh, well, I, I'm so happy to have done it and spent the time with you. And um, I, I really uh, want to congratulate both of you on your, your podcast because I've been listening and it's just really a kind of conversation that I like to hear. It's very intelligent and, you know, and relaxed and it's, it's a great thing you're doing. And I congratulate you on your success. Thank you so much. Wow, thank you. Yeah, thanks. So, without further ado, I am Joey Gentile. And I'm Brandon Stanwyck. And this has been Academy Queen's Conversation with Academy Award nominee Penelope Milford. A big thank you again, and we'll all talk to you guys later. Thank you so much. Oh, Brandon! That went so good! Yeah, Penelope Milford is a treat. It was so wonderful talking to her for over an hour. Yeah, that was, first of all, the fact that she remembers my script and remembers my writing and commented on it, that was just like, oh, thank you. Like, you called it very interesting. Like, that was, for the record, that was like a very interesting where it was good because like I have, I have the receipts to back it up, ladies. Uh, where she emailed me and she's like, "I love the script. I just don't want to do it right now." So like he, me hearing that, and knowing the context of well, how she means that, was just like, you know what? Thank you. Like, thank you. I appreciate that. But no, you know, it was it was so nice to finally, first of all, on her birthday, sit down and she shared her day with us. But like to sit and just talk with her and bullshit for an hour. And she, you know what she felt like? She felt like that aunt that just gives you so much comfort. Mm-hmm. Who has all the stories? All the stories, all of them. It was so nice hearing about how much of a warrior she was in her early years as an actress. How she didn't put up with people's shit, mm-hmm. and basically saved coming home. Coming home probably would have been a weaker film if she hadn't of if she wouldn't have stood up for the character of Vi and uh, got those scenes that were cut back into the film. It probably wouldn't be as good as it is today. Oh, I agree. I agree. And this is this is why we are so passionate, especially me, with these underdog nominations and why it's just like, listen, don't always go for the popular vote. There's a reason why these performances are so strong when people just want to like graze over them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yay. And she knows about the Penelope Milford effect, which is cool. And she said she listens to us now. That is like, hell yeah. 
That is so wonderful. Like I knew she listened to the episode where we talked about her, mm-hmm. but I was surprised to hear that she's listened to other episodes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was fun. And guys, I'm so excited that you just heard that. And I'm so excited to share it with you because currently as we record this, you haven't heard it yet because we're just still recording. But um, right. yeah, good times, good times. And I look forward to more interviews and let's see what is on the horizon. Thank you, Penelope Milford. Yeah, let's do that again. Yes. And on the count of three, we're going to give a big official Academy Queens farewell. Ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. Goodbye. Bye.